Welcome to the Monash Perioperative Medicine podcast series. I'm Marissa Ferguson, Staff Specialist Anaesthetist at the Alfred. And today I'm talking to Dr. Angeline Leight, who's Deputy Director and Head of Echocardiography in the Department of Cardiology here at the Alfred. She's a full-time cardiologist in the heart failure and transplant service here. So today we're going to talk about the perioperative management of patients with heart failure and preserved ejection fraction, or HEFPEF. The perioperative risks of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction are very well recognised, but HEFPEF is a relatively recent entity, and it's one that a lot of anaesthetists might not be as familiar with. So firstly, Angie, um, what is HEFPEF? So HEFPEF is quite a different entity to heart failure with, with reduced ejection fraction. And the differentiation there is the left ventricular ejection fraction that can be measured on echocardiography or cardiac MRI or gated blood pool scan. So LVEF greater than 50% defines heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. But the important thing is that they actually need to have the heart failure syndrome as well. So the clinical symptoms and signs of heart failure together with a measured LVEF of greater than 50%. And when we see an echo report, often we'll see terms such as diastolic dysfunction or impaired left ventricular filling. Um, how does this relate to diagnosis of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction? Diastolic dysfunction was something that was used interchangeably in the past um, in patients who had HEFPEF, but it's important to remember that uh, the diastolic dysfunction that is reported on ECHO describes the parameters that we measure doing the diastole um, of, of the cardiac cycle. So we can have a patient with quite significant LV systolic dysfunction, that is HEF-REF, a left ventricular ejection fraction, uh, less than 50, but they can still have severe diastolic dysfunction if they've got elevated left ventricular filling pressures. So the diastolic dysfunction in itself does not differentiate HEF-REF versus HEF-PEF. All patients with HEF-PEF will have some degree of diastolic dysfunction. Patients with HEF-REF may or may not have diastolic dysfunction. So a patient with HEF-REF who is perfectly managed, uvolemic, with low left ventricular filling pressures, can actually have normal diastolic function as measured on echocardiography. Excellent. That's great to clarify those differentiators. Um, so when we're seeing patients in the pre-admission clinic with unexplained dyspnea, who are the patient population who we should consider a diagnosis of HEFPEF? HEFF is becoming increasingly recognised now, and we tend to see it more in females, in older patients, so patients who are 60 to 65 years or older. And these patients tend to have a large handful of comorbidities, diabetes, hypertension, myocardial ischemia. And there is a subset, of course, that don't necessarily have those comorbidities, but have other specific cardiac causes of HEFPEF, such as infiltrative disease, amyloid cardiomyopathy, fibrous cardiomyopathy, um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or restrictive cardiomyopathy. They're quite a different subset. There is a primary abnormality within the heart that causes the diastolic, that causes the HEFPEF. In the other more common form, um, it is the comorbidities over a long period of time which has created a subset for the pathophysiology of HEFPEF. And how would we investigate patients with suspected HEFPEF? So 
Um, if we look at, um, so first of all, the uh, clinical signs and symptoms, uh, looking for signs of fluid overload in a patient, um, the B-type natriuretic peptide can be useful um, in excluding patients with HEFPEF, uh, with all of the caveats, of course, uh, remembering that in, in patients that we can and can't use BNP for. Um, but in a patient with a, a normal BNP, they're less likely to have their breathlessness attributed to increased left ventricular filling pressure. And therefore, if the BNP is normal, um, you could almost safely say that this patient will not have 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 PEF. Great. And then BNP has a recognised prognostic role in HEF heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Is there any role of BNP as a prognostic indicator in patients with preserved ejection fraction? So the diagnostic and the prognostic usefulness of BNP applies to both HEFREF and HEFPEF together. All of the a lot of the trials included both subgroups, um, and both subgroups had the same mortality and morbidity with varying levels of BNP. Excellent. And when we're looking at an echo report, in someone with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, how do we assess severity? Normally we'd use ejection fraction as a marker of severity with reduced ejection fraction. Are there any um, similar indicators for preserved ejection fraction? So within heart failure with, pre with preserved ejection fraction, you can look at um, the severity of the diastolic dysfunction. So a patient with higher left ventricular filling pressures, that is more severe HEFPEF, is more likely to have a more severe grade of diastolic dysfunction. The other modality which can be useful is to look at the estimated pulmonary artery systolic pressure. And that really tells you what the long-term downstream effects of having chronic elevated left ventricular filling pressure is. So if a patient has chronic sustained elevated left ventricular filling pressures, you would expect to see that their pulmonary capillary wedge pressure will increase over time. And as a consequence of that, you can see an increase in their pulmonary artery systolic pressures estimated on echo. Okay, great. When we assess these patients preoperatively, in terms of optimising management, what are the current um, management strategies for patients with HEFPEF? So the holistic um, management objectives here should be to maintain clinical uvolemia. It's very important with the heart failure, with preserved ejection fraction, if they're a little bit, we call these patients teaspoon over, teaspoon under. If they're teaspoon over, they tend to go into pulmonary edema. If they're teaspoon under, they go into acute renal failure. So it's it can be quite difficult to maintain that um, uvolemia, particularly not just in the pre-op period, but in the perioperative period, um, but may, to try and achieve that as much as possible. Um, the second aspect that is important is management of their heart rate. We know that patients with HEFPEF with tachycardia will have less diastolic filling time and therefore poorer cardiac output as a consequence. Excellent. Um, and when we're managing these patients intraoperatively, are there any particular strategies for hemodynamic management to optimise outcomes for this patient group? So tachycardia, very, very important to manage here. Um, so your use of short-term intravenous beta blockers, et cetera, is required to try and keep their heart rate, if you can, between 70 to 90. And also trying to avoid uh, significant hypertension because that will worsen the actual pathophysiology of HEFPEF. Excellent. And um, going back to the um, medical management of these patients, how does the medical management 
do for, for patients with reduced ejection fraction versus preserved ejection fraction in terms of things like beta blocker therapy, mm. ACE inhibitor therapy? So unfortunately with the HEFPEF group, there is no medication that has been demonstrated to reduce mortality or morbidity. Um, management of uvolemia with diuretic therapy, for instance, um, improves their symptoms and management of heart rate also can improve their symptoms. Um, so in the preoperative and perioperative uh, management, it would be fluid state and heart rate, which would, which would be the main uh, drivers for your, for your drug therapy. Excellent. That's a great summary of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Thanks very much for your time, Angie. And thank you for inviting me. 